Hi, I'm Betty Lynn Fisher. I'm the consumer columnist and medical reporter with the Akron Beacon Journal. And today for our healthy actions expert, we have Dr. Susanna Bowling. She is the medical director of the Neuroscience Institute at SUMA Health in Akron, as well as SUMA's Comprehensive Stroke Center. Dr. Bowling, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me in your program. And thank you for the time you dedicate to this great column that I think is a phenomenal way to inform the public and the community about health issues. So thank you very much. Can I go ahead and um, get you to tell me a little bit about your programs to start with? I am the director of the Comprehensive Stroke Center at Sumar Health System. It's located primarily at Akron City Hospital. And what it is, is a program that has been dedicated for many, many years for the care of patients with acute stroke and a stroke in general, stroke and TIs, obviously. And the program has grown from being a primary program to a tra- then evolve into a thrombectomy-capable co- program. And just most recently, we acquired the um, accreditation as a comprehensive, which means that we not only can t- treat uh, ischemic strokes uh, effectively, but also we expand the treatments also to hemorrhages, strokes, as well as uh, seragnal hemorrhages. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we're talking today is because May is National Stroke Awareness Month. Um, and so, you know, I know that there have been over the years um, some acronyms um, that help people remember common symptoms of strokes that uh, were FAST, and now I understand it's BFAST. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about that and help um, the readers understand what are some common um, p- potential symptoms of a stroke? Absolutely. For many years uh, ago, we came out with the acronym of FAST, well, we meaning the, the stroke community led at that time by the American Stroke Association, which I think is the first one that started with that acronym. The whole idea was to come out with something catchy and easy to remember that would help patients and help the community members to think about stroke and what to do and what symptoms were related to a stroke. So those symptoms were, for example, you know, the, the FAST stands for F for the face. So if you have any face that's symmetry, like you have weakness in one side. The um, A is for the arm, so your arm was weak. Um, that means usually, okay, you have a sudden onset of weakness in your arm, that might be a stroke. You know, the S is, was for speech, with any difficulty with the speech, either because you could not understand somebody or somebody could not understand you. Your speech become very slurred or the speech become just very grish. All that was suggested a possibility for a stroke. And then the T is stand for time. That means, okay, don't forget, you're having these symptoms, time is brain, therefore you need to act very quickly. But we use that for years, since the end of 1990s until very recently, and we always say, okay, this is not all. We had to expand the training of the community into understanding that there are other symptoms that could also suggest strokes. For example, if they lost their vision suddenly, either because suddenly you lost the vision of one eye or suddenly you can't see anything from one side of your world, either the right side or the left side. So that was the eye. And then what about those individuals who suddenly lose Lose their balance, and it's not just because they, you know, they have ear problems and they know what they have problems for gait and balance that they have all their life. But a sudden onset where they suddenly lose their balance and that falling or not. So those were missed in the and and those patients may not be asking for help in a timely manner. So that's why the acronym of BFAS came up, and I believe it was brought up by the um, the neuro. I think it was the 
the Society of Neurointerventional uh, Surgery, who recently suggested, uh, okay, well, what about adding B to the fast? And that way we can train people to recognize not only symptoms suggesting strokes in the arterial portions of the brain, but also uh, symptoms that come from the posterior portions of the brain, which is the balance and the vision problems. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, B fast, B balance difficulties, E eyesight changes, F facial drooping, um, A arm weakness, S speech difficulties, and T time to call nine one one. Correct. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. and obviously those are not all the symptoms or only the symptoms of a stroke. It's impossible to put in one acronym everything. But it's, it encompasses, I would say, more than 90% of what is a typical presentations. Um, because you can also have weakness in your leg, although it's unusual to have the leg weakness, but not the arm as well. But anything that is sudden onset, you were fine one minute, the next minute you were not fine. Uh, you wake up with the symptoms when you went to bed perfectly normal the night before. You're talking on the phone and suddenly you lose your speech. So all the things that, that are sudden is a, the the no matter what, where the weakness is, it becomes very important to consider as a stroke. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you talk to me about age range and gender? Is there a certain age range that people should um, worry about, perhaps m- more commonly having stroke? And then I know with heart heart attacks, there are different signs for women in having heart attacks versus men. Well, thank you very much for that question, because actually there's, uh, those two questions are very dear to my heart. First, because people think strokes is a disease of the elderly. And it's not true. That we, you know, The data from even Ohio suggesting that even 60% of the strokes happen in patients that are below the age of 65. So that means that these uh, individuals that are still working in the community, providing for their families, having a very beautiful life, and suddenly gets halted by this terrible disease. So Strokes is not a disease of the elderly and also is is affecting now younger, younger population than as, as the time goes along because the, the typical um, triggers or risk factors for strokes are becoming more prevalent in the younger population. And the second question about women and stroke is another very dear to my heart because for many years, um, the, the thought was, okay, well, strokes occur in men, not occur in women. So women have always been more redundant to ask for help when they have symptoms or more, um, they tend to ignore their symptoms or complaints because they say, well, this happens in men, not in women. And it's true for stroke just as much as for heart disease and other conditions. Women have more strokes than men, as a matter of fact, and unfortunately, when they have them, it does tend to be in a little older age, but it does also tend to have more significant consequences and, and effects. Um, another thing is because women tend to be the caregivers, not the ones that take the care. So the consequence of having stroke in women is usually more devastating. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so going back to that age question, you were saying it's, it, it is becoming more prevalent in younger people. So, I mean, can you even see it in people in their 20s or even, you know, teens or, or younger? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, there are strokes in children too. So there is a whole world of stroke in in, uh, in pediatrics. So it happens at any age. But then in the past, I mean, you, we used to have, a, you know, think of the Mayo party for, for just awareness of patients with stroke in the youth. Uh, yes, to say, okay, yes, you can be partying. You're young enough to be in a party, but yet, guess what? You can also have a stroke. And that comes with also the use of drugs, unfortunately, they increase the chances of having strokes. It comes with the increased prevalence in obesity in the youth. And with that, the presence of diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, 
Um, and all those are risk factors for strokes, no matter what age. Mm -hmm. What are, are there any prevention, um, you know, uh, you know, tips for preventing strokes? I think that the number one tip is take care of yourself as a whole, right? Number one is engage with the care of physicians early on. Uh, having well visits with primary care doctors, in my opinion, I think the number one step to prevent any disease and also stroke as well. Then when you have diagnoses like diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, all those diagnoses don't hurt. Therefore, we don't run for help because, hey, I don't feel my high blood pressure. Why should I treat it? I feel perfectly okay. When you have those diagnoses, you need to treat those because those are what we call the silent killers and being consistent with the treatments because unfortunately, once you have those conditions, they don't go away, they're chronic conditions. So being consistent with the treatment and being and, and understanding that that's going to prevent conditions like strokes and heart disease, which usually will change your life. So. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the types of strokes. So I've heard about or, you know, known people with TIAs. Can you talk to me about that first? A TIA is what I would consider as a prelude to a stroke. The stroke has not happened, but it's coming. Usually about 17% of the patients who have big strokes, they had had a TIA on the seven days prior to the event. That what does TIA they, stand for? It stands for transient ischemic attack. And it means that you have transient symptoms of those phase, um, the, the BFAS, it stands for the same thing. But instead of lasting for over an hour, they tend to be five minutes, 10 minutes. And that's the reason why the patients don't attend to um, to assist for help, uh, help because they don't think it's serious. They always, oh, my arm was weak for five minutes. It's back to normal. Why should I bother, right? So it's transient. It has the same symptoms. It goes away before it injures the brain, but it is a prelude to having an event that will eventually be permanent in the near future. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that a TI, if you have a TIA, that you are, uh, it, that it's possible that a full-on stroke could come later. Correct. Very okay. possible. Yeah. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned something about an hour. So is there a time frame? Does the you know is the hour something that is with the with the next category of the ischemic stroke? No, it's all the statistics, right? So it said that when symptoms last more than an hour more than 80% of those patients would already have had a stroke. And the reason for that is because it takes five minutes for neurons to start dying. So within more accurate and, uh, and improvement of technology with imaging, we get uh, to identify strokes in patients that have some symptoms, sometimes for even five, 10 minutes. But that's why statistics says, you know, if it's less than one hour, it's likely to be a TIA, even though still you find strokes in those individuals quite often. Mm -hmm. sure. So I'm assuming that um, you shouldn't discount any of these signs, right? So you shouldn't say to yourself, oh, this is just a TIA. I don't have to go to the doctor or the, or the emergency room. You should, if you see any of these be fast symptoms, um, should that, you know, should you, should you call 911 or should you go to the emergency room? Absolutely. You should call 911. If you have any of those symptoms, this is the one chance that life has given you, <laughs> that nature has given you to take actions before you can no longer take an action. And um, that's the reason why I think you have to take those symptoms very seriously. Mm -hmm. Okay. And should you call 911, you probably shouldn't necessarily drive yourself to the emergency room. Correct. When patients have symptoms or stroke, they should not 
go to, uh, to get in the car and go to the ER. Your family member shouldn't be the one driving you. You need to call 911. Uh, particularly in our system, because uh, the EMS pro systems in our communities are extraordinary. They're very well trained. And not only they know what to ask, the information to get, they know how to also treat the patients on transport. And if they, they get worse in transport, they know what to do. They call us before they come. So we're waiting for them when they come to the ER. So it facilitates for the patients to be treated faster. You can pretty much say that the patient's treatment starts when the first healthcare professional is um, you know, involved with the patient and does an EMS in the home of the patients or whatever it is that they had the stroke. And, uh, and that's where the care starts. Earlier, you said that time is brain. So I'm assuming that every minute counts. Correct. Every minute counts. So the, the longer you wait to seek any help, the more um, deficits you will be accumulating and the worse outcomes you will have. On top of that, the more you wait to come to us, the least amount of treatments we'll have in our hands to be able to help you. Not only the treatments may be less effective, but also they will be more dangerous because as you accumulate brain injury, then the risk for complications of the treatments increase as well. So time is brain in many different ways to think about it. You need to be seen immediately so you can be treated quickly before you have injury and with the maximum uh, amount of options for treatment that you can have. I'm going to go backward for one second. We've talked about TIAs. Can you talk to me a little bit about the most common type of stroke, which I understand is the ischemic stroke? Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so you have two kinds of strokes. The ones where the vessels get clotted, blood is not getting through, and the tissue beyond the vessels gets dry and dies. Imagine not watering your grass for a week. Yeah? So the longer you wait to water the grass, the more grass you lose. In this case, in the brain, it takes five minutes for you to start losing your grass. Yeah? The other kind of stroke is where the vessels break and then the, the blood gets out of the vessel and bleeds. We call that hemorrhagic strokes. In this case, you know, instead of not watering, you left the hose open outside and then your grass is full of water. So that's exactly what happens to the brain. So those are the, the two kinds. The most common kind is the ischemic stroke. It's about 80%. And this, the hemorrhagic strokes, they are approximately about 20%. And they are two kinds of those. One of which includes what is called subarachnoid hemorrhages. Those are typically caused by rupture aneurysms. Those are very serious strokes with very high mortalities. And those are the ones where you know, the, the expertise and where you end up locating, uh, you know, uh, being cared for as a patient becomes very, very important. And that's the, the value of a comprehensive program like the one we have. Mm -hmm. And so what should a patient expect or a patient's family expect when a patient um, arrives at the emergency room uh, with a stroke? Well, so if they have called the EMS and the EMS have called us ahead of time, what they will expect is a bunch of people waiting for them. Yeah. And we have processes in place to make sure that everything happens very quickly. So they, we wait the, the carts when they come in so we know the weight of the patient so that way we can plan the treatments uh, that are weight-based treatments. Then they go run to the CT scanner while people are putting lines, asking questions, doing testing. So it can be a little bit overwhelming, right? Then we get the, the images very quickly and through 
um, now artificial intelligent processes, we can get to know very quickly uh, the, if the area of the brain is affected, how much is affected, if the and what kind of treatments we can offer to the patients. And, um, and then the patients are going to be told about the options for treatment. And usually they're going to be given odds of risks of the treatments because we have to, right? All these treatments have some risk. And we want the patients, when they are able to communicate and they're able to understand, to be aware of those risks so we can get them to consent to us to, to go on to, perform, to give the treatments. Um, when the patients cannot communicate, which unfortunately is quite often, then we use guidelines to help us make those decisions by guidelines to treat them with the appropriate interventions, either medications or taking them to the angel suite where my colleagues in the vascular team will go from the inside of the vessels and fish the clots out of the brain to help them recover their functions. And then what about recuperation? I mean, I, I'm sure it, it probably depends upon the severity of the stroke um, and, and you know, whether there was damage to the brain. But can you talk to me a little bit about recuperation from, um, from a stroke? That's a phenomenal question because the stroke starts the day you have it, but it ends, you know, really at the end of your life. You know, your, your recovery of the stroke is a lifelong endeavor. And it's important to early on engage into therapies, speech therapies, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Sometimes patients need to learn how to walk again. It's super important to have a strong family ties and a strong family support because it can be hard. You know, you, you were an independent person two days ago, and now you're dependent on everybody for everything. So you need a lot of family support, assistance sometimes, or behavioral health to help with the depression that may fall as a consequence of the, the stroke, and, and then the support of the community to help you bring you back into as much activity as you can possibly have and have a, the best quality of life that you can have. So recovery is a long life recovery, but it's possible. And I always tell everybody, Everybody gets better, how much better, and how fast depends on the patient. Dr. Bowling, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we do? I think that we started with be fast. I think that if out of this conversation, you know, the community can learn that, what be fast is, and to learn not to ignore those symptoms and call 911, that would be probably the one thing I think would be most helpful because that's incredible value for them. And once you know about BFAST, then teach it. Teach it to others in the community because it's easy. Yeah? Put it in your refrigerator so if you forget, it's there. And, uh, and be very aware of the symptoms so you can ask for help early on. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Dr. Bowling, thank you so much for, for this informative time. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, very much. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed the conversations and thank you.